Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Welcome. Michael Smirkanish. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a Sirius XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say, and so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op-eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews are with book authors. Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. Taylor Branch is in studio with me. He's the author of The Clinton Tapes, Wrestling History with the President. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning author of America in the King Years. Thanks so much for being here. Glad to be here, Mike. Having read the book, the context interests me, no disrespect intended, more than the substance you offer. I am so fascinated with the whole backstory of how this came to pass and how you were able to carry it out over the span of eight years and nearly 80 interviews. I've previously told my audience that Taylor Branch, and you correct me where I'm wrong, had a relationship with President Clinton that stemmed from the McGovern campaign in 1972, and then came this this long time period where you were not on one another's radar screens. When he's elected, you go down to Little Rock, but you don't see him, Nevertheless, your name shows up in a newspaper account of the president having president elect having regretted that he didn't get a chance to see you. Then comes an invitation to go to Catherine Graham's house. 
where he buttonholes you. And what does he say? He said three things. The first thing he said was, can you believe all this? He's surrounded by Secret Service agents. I hadn't seen him in 20 years. And uh, he was boyish and excited about all of the pomp and circumstance uh, at Kay Graham's house with all the powerful elites. Of, Bill Sapphire was there, you know, the Federal Reserve, Alan Greenspan was there, everybody was there. And he buttonholes me and has two minutes and said he, he, he wanted to ask me two questions. He said, I've only got a couple of minutes. And the, and the one that's most pertinent was that he said he was worried about the quality of the of the of the records that would be preserved in his library and whether they'd be up to the records that I was using from the Johnson and Eisenhower and Kennedy uh, libraries to to write about the civil rights era. You're a highly acclaimed journalist. You're a Pulitzer Prize winning author. But why you? Because as this thing unfolds, you know, you're in the pickup truck driving south on 95 from Baltimore and and initially it's a stopgap. You know, you really he hasn't figured out what he should do with the so-called oral histories. Um, but you become the interim step and then, you know, permanent. It just, it just takes on a life of, but why you? And I'm asking because I want to know, does Taylor Branch have some kind of a rapport with President Clinton that he came to appreciate, that you came to appreciate? What is it? Well, I we did have a bond from 1972, but I uh, I mean we got along well in this campaign. We got shellacked. That's a very intense bonding experience. We got clobbered. We lost Texas by 30 points <laughs> in 1972. Uh, Richard Nixon trounced us. Uh, but then I didn't see him for 20 years. So I think that all he he said that he liked reading Parting the Waters and that he read the footnotes and that I was somebody that he knew and had a bond with and therefore he wanted to pursue this whole question of preserving a more vivid uh, history. Uh, after that, it was just that we got along well, because in some senses, his concern for the historical record fit exactly with uh, some of my uh, primary concerns that I've developed over the course of writing about it, all this. I think that we're losing our sense of the personal side of a people's government uh, and that we don't really preserve a good history. This is Taylor Branch. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning author. His most recent book, and you've read a tremendous amount about it, The Clinton Tapes. As a matter of fact, Susan Page was on my program about 10 days ago, wrote that that huge front-page USA Today treatment, which caused me to want to go out and buy the book and read it, which I have done. The other shock to me is that you were able to keep this, by my count, four, five people, the president, meaning President Clinton, Taylor Branch, the first lady, Hillary Rodham Clinton, uh... Nancy Heinrich, Hernreich, Hernreich, who would who would become the facilitator, David Kendall, the lawyer, and a lot of people, it seems like, who had suspicions, but nobody else knew that for for eight years, you know, close to 80 different events, you're going into the White House, into the private residence most often, and sitting down in the treaty room and having these extended conversations with the president. How in the fishbowl world in which we live did you keep that under wraps? Well, I think one thing that helped was to have myself as as the interlocutor, the one asking the questions, be not from Washington. I didn't live there. I lived up in Baltimore, and I was deeply in, immersed in a history project from, from 30, 40 years earlier. So uh, I wasn't really part of the Washington world, and all I had to do was to, you know, keep up my resolve not to talk to people about the fact that I was having these private conversations with the press. And you did. I mean, you 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 clear. You you are a secret keeper. Absolutely. So uh, the other the other, the vignettes of this thing I I loved. I mean, so you, you haven't been in his world for twenty years. 
you go to dinner at Catherine Graham's house in Georgetown, and within a matter of days, you're at Blair House at 4 o'clock in the morning, literally the day of the Clinton inauguration. At 4 a.m., he's going over the speech, and Al Gore finally says, we've got to get the hell to bed. <laughs> with all due respect, can we get down to business, says Al, with this big, booming yeah. voice. And uh, I didn't expect any of this. I thought that since he had raised this subject with me and then asked me to come down as a historian and hear the inaugural address, that I would hear a polished version and be done in 10 minutes, ask for my two cents. But instead, it turned into a working marathon to revise, and do you have any more ideas? And went on all night, and I I wound up taking him the written version of the last thing uh, as a courier and being swept down onto the platform for the inauguration without a ticket or any, uh, any ID or anything, and I didn't have a seat, and I had to squat there uh, next to a, to a fire extinguisher. And when, I had a seat. And when the inaugural parade is over, you, Taylor Branch find yourself in a position where you are with President Clinton and the First Lady as they cross the threshold and they enter the private quarters for the first time. Yes. Yes. It's a hell of a story. It, I mean, I, I, and, I, and I don't mean to overlook Bosnia and your personal fascination with Haiti and, and all the other reportage that you do, but as one who's, who's been privileged to be in the White House in, in a different context on a number of occasions, I just kept coming back to how you must have felt as a journalist, finding yourself in that position and 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 sitting there, another another uh, uh, you know seven hundred pages, and I and I, I read the book and and I can I could never do more than put a dent in what you've covered. But some of the other things that jumped off the page at me, the gift this man has for multitasking. I mean, you paint a picture of going in there some night where it's ten o'clock at night and he's eating dinner. And he's watching a sports game, and Chelsea's coming in to get her homework, you know, corrected or proofed by him. And Hillary's in her bathrobe wearing face cream and wanting to know, does anybody want a glass of white wine? And he's juggling it all, taking calls from members of the House and Senate and responding to your questions. And talking to me, right. And his mind, I think that his mind gets pretty restless if he's only doing one or two things. And maybe that's a qualification for being president. Maybe it's not. Maybe it, maybe it shows him being restless. My job in this book was to try to present it as it is behind the scenes with a sitting president because I think what most Americans get is filtered images of a president and 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 not the reality. I don't try to 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 assess this to bring any great judgments. I try to present the primary experience, which is just what we were trying to do in the history project to gather this material. So, what becomes of the tapes that you created? That I create well, well, with I, him. I created two tapes. Right. The ones that he have has uh, the ones that we did that have both of us uh, that on my machines. Uh, I gave them to him. He still has them. Uh, he will uh, open them to scholars if uh, at, at his library. My guess is not until Hillary retires, until she leaves the State Department or something. But that he'll open them shortly after that. Uh, don't hold me to it. That's just my hunch. But you know, he went to enormous effort and strain to to um, to create these things for that purpose. So I'm pretty sure he'll do it. My tapes, which I then recorded after each session, I dictated everything I could remember, which is the basis of this book. Driving home to Baltimore, uh, those have been given to uh, the University of North Carolina, which also has all of my 25 years of civil rights tapes, and they're going to be opened uh, in the next few months. In other words, the, the, the standard drill, Mr. Branch, is that you'd get a call. Often on short notice, you'd be at home in Baltimore, 
and you'd be told the president would like to see you and he's got a window and and most often it seemed that it was at night and you'd see him in the private residence you'd go down you'd set up the taping apparatus and then when the session was concluded you'd rewind you'd hand those tapes labeled to the president and he would then put them in his literally in his sock drawer you would leave the white house driving home in your pickup truck i love the the uh, image of this and and as you're driving that 1 hour drive you would dictate as best you could recall what had just transpired exactly and sometimes i wouldn't finish by the time i got home and i and would you just sit in the drive. driveway and record for another hour uh, other vignettes that stand out in my mind about your your great book the clinton tapes the uh, uh the image of presidents ford Carter and Bush, meaning Bush 41, waking up in the White House, the conversation is a little bit stilted, and they coalesce around their mutual dislike of Ross Perot. And Bill Clinton is telling you this. Bill Clinton is telling me this, saying that it was stilted and, and that he never would have predicted that the only thing that they could agree on that really got him going uh, was that they all, for different reasons, disliked Ross Perot. And then at the end, he said, and much to my surprise, the wittiest and, and most wicked uh, satirist of Ross Perot was George Bush 41, said he was merciless uh, against Ross Perot, Perot for pretending that he was some big Bronco capitalist when he, he made his fortune off Social Security contracts. <laughs> Speaking of, of, uh, of President Clinton vis-a-vis -vis other presidents, I, I took note of his respect. And this is interesting because you, your relationship with Bill Clinton arose out of your mutual efforts for George McGovern in 72. But Bill Clinton developed a respect, at least, for the intellect uh, and view of uh, American uh, Sino relations with Richard Nixon. And and Russian relations and and Russian relations. Nixon went over there and visited all these new republics and wrote Clinton what he said was the best the best document on foreign policy bar none that he had ever read was his assessment of the future of all of these uh, ex-Soviet republics. Speaking of the Soviet republics, one of the elements of the Clinton tapes that you know has gotten a tremendous amount of attention, and I, I raised this on my uh, my programs before even reading your book, the bit about Yeltsin. Yes. Uh, some people said, and then the bit about Yeltsin is that Bill Clinton reveals to you that Boris Yeltsin tied one on and, and was in his underwear at the Blair House and wanted to get a pizza one night. Sounding very American, by the way. Yep. We debated on my program how much vodka would he have had to consume to take him down to that level. <laughs> and my guess was a whole fifth. We're not talking three or four shots. Some people said Bill Clinton should not have shared that detail with you because perhaps it opens up revelations about American leaders speaking to, uh, you know, a foreign leader speaking to a journalist about one of our guys or gals. Yes. I can see people saying that, but the context in which he said this was that he saw Boris Yeltsin dealing with one of the most difficult challenges he knew for any world leader to create markets in the wake of a collapsed Soviet Union with political pressures to recon reconstitute the Soviet Empire. He said that's the most challenging thing you can imagine and that he's doing all of this in the context of an alcoholism that goes far beyond just the jolly old Russian. And he was trying to talk about the serious challenge and illustrated it with this point about the Blair House and he actually said that the second night when he tried to sneak out again and was caught in the basement by agents uh, Russian and Americans who didn't recognize one another and it could have caused a terrible incident uh, that it, it revealed the kind of tightrope that you're working on to try to accomplish uh, substantive things in politics. So um, 
I don't think it was prurient that he did it, but I, I, I probably should have realized that that detail was going to get more attention. The attention. Uh, of another another of the details of your book, the Clinton tapes, that get a lot gets a lot of attention is is President Clinton sharing with you, Taylor Branch, how he once sat between Elizabeth Taylor and. Uh, no, I have a mental block now. Help Sophia me. Lauren. And Sophia Loren, right. And Elizabeth Taylor's first words to Bill Clinton, I can't say on my own program, did you look at her T word that ends in S? Mm -hmm. And that, that he, you know, demurs at first, and then she wants to know, and when he finally says that he may have looked in that direction, then she introduces herself and says, I'm Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, he's never met her before. This is on the night of the millennium. This is uh, December 31st, 1999. Y2K concerns. Y2K, yeah. and, and he's seated between these two actresses at the big formal dinner. Uh, speaking of, uh, of Boris Yeltsin, as we were a moment ago, I found fascinating the discussion of Aldra James. Aldra James, the FBI agent who uh, turned for the Soviets. And the Soviets, they didn't want the embarrassment of this guy. And at one point, Yeltsin says to Clinton, you know, we'd sooner you just shoot him and keep it quiet. Yeah, that's right. Just shoot him. Do whatever you have to. But don't. Spies are spies. You know, we have spies. You have spies. Just discard it and, and, and don't allow it to embarrass us. It it was a totally different it it was an old soviet holdover view of how you have to handle something like that that uh, that caught clinton unawares mr branch i've read a lot of the reviews of the clinton tapes and to the extent that there's a criticism out there it is that you don't add value relative to Lewinsky, that, that you know, you were the guy in the catbird seat, albeit several weeks go off the clock before he brings you, brings you in to talk about this and so forth, but that there's really nothing new that's offered here about that chapter. What do you say to that criticism? There's been plenty about Lewinsky. The only thing that is new there is is what I think was a, 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 a burst on his part about why it happened uh and him feeling sorry for himself which he said is his central character fault uh and his resolve to just focus on public business being worn down by what he said was his bigger disappointment with the press not his political opponents uh but with the press for focusing on tabloid matters rather than things that affected uh the people of the United States so um I didn't talk about it. I actually apologized uh and record here that I apologized to him saying that I didn't, as his friend, uh, push and offer to have him discuss more about Lewinsky with me because I was afraid that it would undermine our history project if he was that sensitive about it. Plus, we were always afraid of getting uh, subpoenaed. Which I must ask you about. The lawyer in me, for all 700 pages of this book, is saying, how in the world were they able to do this given all the investigation that was taking place of the Clinton years and you know David Kendall at, at a certain point is listening to select of your tapes but it was never made clear to me in the book and and it's a lot to consume um, so perhaps I missed it but in the end were any of your tapes produced for for the special counsel for 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 Ken Starr for any any outside in, individual at all I'm virtually certain that they were not I I don't know but what I'm saying is that uh, David Kendall 
answered some subpoenas for material in the president's possession, and he listened to the tapes and I'm sure responded, but my guess is that he did it in a way that it didn't tip off that these were from this larger enterprise, didn't say, you know, this is from a tape recording, and right. it's a larger, that he did it in a way that didn't telegraph where it came from and, and maybe concealed it with a lot of other information, things that Clinton told him or whatever, so that the special counsel's office never filed a, a subpoena saying, is there a tape project there involving Taylor Branch talking, give us all the tapes, we want to listen, because that was our dread. Since the book has been published, have any of those participants in investigations of the Clinton years, meaning from then, have they said, hey, that Taylor Branch, he had stuff that we sure wish we had had then, and it should have been produced? They have not yet. Of course, the book hasn't been published even a week yet, so I, I don't. I, my, I, I predict it's it's a matter of hours, if not days, before <laughs> we hear that. I was I was, as you can tell, totally totally taken with this. By the way, I love the idea, and I, I got to let you go because my time's uh, your time is uh, is is up. Uh, I love the idea that Bill Clinton thought Al Gore's best running mate, at least among females. Barbara Mikulski? Yes, that was a total shock to, total shock to me. I, I couldn't really tell how serious he was, but he was serious enough that he went on to give some reasons about her communication skills and her as a balance to stiff Al Gore because she was kind of a folk hero um, 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 who would take people by surprise. It's a great book, The Clinton Tapes. The author is Taylor Branch. You can tell I enjoyed it, and I appreciate very much you being in my studio. Thank you. It's been nice to be here, Michael. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost.